0: Michael definitely hates change-ups. He doesn't like things being different. But the truth is, as the new year begins, we kind of want things to be different. We want to be better, oftentimes, as Christians. We want to weigh less than what we weighed last year as humans. We may want to be hitched to someone And we weren't last year. We want things to be different. But yeah, we really like when things are the same. But as we talked about last time when I spoke on Sunday night, sometimes things get a little boring and things get a little old. And we don't want them all to be the same. So, human beings are kind of like, what's the word? Finicky. We can't make up our minds. Do we want things to be different? Do we want things to be the same? And the truth is we need them to be both. There are some things that we need to hold on to we need to continue to do the same things. But yet there are other things that we need to change. Maybe we need to improve. Maybe we need to remove, whatever the case may be. And it got me to thinking about how Jesus is not that way. If you open up to Hebrews, the 18th 18th chapter, there's not even 18 chapters in Hebrews. If you open up to Hebrews, the 13th chapter, the passage that he just read for us, and there in verse 8, in a verse that I'm not going to teach from its context tonight, but just the verse itself flat out says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that got me thinking a little bit. What are some pros and cons of Jesus being the same today as he was yesterday, as he will be forever? And so that got me thinking, and I hope will get you thinking as well. In your hand, some of you have an index card. You might want to write down some pros and cons. I'm going to give you a couple pros and cons that I've got. At the end of the lesson, I'm going to walk around and I'm going to pick up your cards and I'll read them out loud. If you've got a pro or a con, and if you need a card, I'll be happy to bring you one. But the point would be, like, there's got to be some benefit to that, but yet there's also some downsides to it. Even some of the things that Michael talked about this morning, we didn't converse about what we were going to talk about, but they're going to tie in to what He said this morning. But as we think about Jesus being the same and some benefits and some negatives of that, I think we have to begin with some characteristics of Jesus. And people, when they think of Jesus, they think of Jesus very differently. We might think of Him as very dependable. Like when the feeding of the 5,000, right? They were there, they were hungry, and there He was like a shepherd to give those sheep what they needed. They could depend on it. And we think of him in that way. And that's a benefit to know that, hey, Jesus will provide. Or maybe we think of how he's honest. But like if Jesus says, I'm going to do something, Jesus did it. His yes was yes. His no was no. When he said, this is what I'll do, that's what he did. And when he said, this is where I came from, you can take it to the bank. This is where I came from. And this is what I'm going to do. This is what I will do. He's honest. And we like honest people. And we want people to always be honest with us, don't we? Tell me the truth. But there are other times where we don't really want people to tell us the truth, do we? For I'd rather you butter me up a little bit than you actually tell me what I need. Jesus would flat out tell his audience, exactly what they needed to hear. He wasn't afraid. He was honest. When we think about Him being compassionate, and all of the sick people that were brought to Him, and all of the people, again, that were in need of the food, and all these various things, and how Jesus would look at them and He would show mercy to these people. You think, man, that's a really good thing to keep up, to always be. Or you think about the humility of Jesus, how humble He was, how He was the Creator of the world, but yet when He came down to this earth, He didn't live like the Creator of the world. He lived like the lowest of human creation is what He lived like. And He didn't go around flaunting it. He didn't go around saying, hey, treat me this way, treat me that way. He would just say, the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head." That's just the way He was. But yet now he's in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of the high. But he still has not lost his humility. He's still the most humble king that is out there. Uh, and you just think about how he's always going to be that. Or as you think about him as the king and as the ruler, maybe you think about how fair Jesus was. Like, we want people to treat us fairly. To be just with us. I want you to treat me the same way that you treated so-and-so. We don't like double standards. We like things to be consistent unless I can get away with something. And Jesus is very fair. He gives to each what he did in the body. Second Corinthians 5. That's what he's going to do, and there's a benefit to that. Because I'm not judged based on what Michael does or what you do. Or what my parents did. I'm judged on what I do. And that's fair. But yet that also can be a little scary. So maybe that just gets your mind rolling with some of these characteristics of Jesus. I just want to bring up two pros here. So begin, I want to bring up two pros and two cons. First pro I have of Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever. Begins with, I know how he's going to react. You ever have those days, or especially back when you were a kid or maybe even now in a husband-wife relationship where you need something from someone else? Maybe from mom, dad, or your spouse, right? And you don't know when is a good time to ask them. Maybe they are full, right? So you fix a nice dinner and you got them full and they got the dessert, and they're having their coffee and the feet are kicked up and then you come in with the Honey, this is, you know. I don't know if any of you have ever done that. I have used such method, and I think it has worked, actually. But, yeah, you know, you do you know it. Or you know when you can tell Mom or tell Dad, when is a good time to get what you need out of Because you don't know what to expect other times. I don't want to make light of this, but we'll use a phrase that some people are bipolar. And that one minute they're this, one minute they're that. They're over this. And that's not to make fun of the disease or to make light of the disease, but one minute you don't know what you're going to get out of that person. Jesus, you never have to worry about with that. We always know how Jesus is going to react. And I think about that in terms of my faith. I want you to open up to Matthew, the 8th chapter. When I think about my personal faith, I know how Jesus is going to respond to that. Based on how he responds to other people's faith in the Bible. You would see this just over and over. But in Matthew, the eighth chapter, you have that centurion who's not a Jew. And his servant is sick. And he comes to Jesus. And he's asking Jesus to make him well. He said, Come and I will heal him. And he says to Jesus in verse eight. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. And I want you to just think about that for a second. This non-Jew has such faith in Jesus that he says, don't come to my house, just say the word and he'll be healed. And I wonder what the word is. We'll find out with demons. He would say to the demons, go. And the demons went. I wonder if it was the same thing to disease. Go. Or if the the word was okay. Whatever it was, he didn't say you just have to say the words. You just say the word. You say the command and it is gone. And he said, "Uh, because I know authority. And so in verse 10, Jesus heard what the man said. And he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, and I kind of picture this, like he's got his twelve around him, he's got his group. This guy, don't come to my house, I'm not worthy to have you there. You just say the word. He turns to his group and he says, man, truly, I've not found such faith, not even in Israel. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's nothing like it. But these Jews are going to be left out. And so verse 13, here it is. He said to Centurion, go, let it be done as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. You know, the truth is, I either come to Jesus with great faith, or I come like these others. And I know how if I show this great dependence upon Jesus and this great trust in Jesus, how He is going to respond to that. He is going to grant that. I'll give you one more example of that. Think about that woman who had the issue of blood for all those years, right? We talked about her not too long ago. She said if I can just touch the hem of His garment, I'll be made well. She touches the hem of His garment and immediately She felt the blood stop. That's how we can know. That's what we know is going to happen with Jesus being the same. It doesn't matter if it's Tuesday or Friday or Sunday. If I come to Him in that faith, I know He will respond positively. But I also know how Jesus is going to react to my heart. You know, there's a scary thing said there in Acts 1 as they're trying to replace the apostle Judas with another apostle. And the apostles pray, and they just open up with this very blanket statement. Lord, you know the hearts of all men. And I, thought, I think about that very frequently. That There is no one that Jesus doesn't understand their heart, that he doesn't know what is in their heart. And He knows when people come to them with an honest heart or a deceptive heart. You can't pull the wool over His eyes. He knows that. And there is a, there's a pro to that. Because if I have a good heart, if I have a soft heart, I know how He's going to react. Consider in 1 John chapter 1. Again, we were talking about light and darkness on Wednesday night. And this is one of those great passages that... God is light, and in Him is no darkness. There is no sin in God. But verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with Him, if we're saying we have a partnership with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we don't practice the truth. I'm out there living this way, and I'm saying I've got this relationship with God, I've got this partnership, and God is saying, no, you don't. You're a liar. You're not practicing the truth. But here's verse 7, if we walk in the light, as He in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Like, yeah, our sins are taken care of. But notice this verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. There's our fair to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The truth is, as an individual, I have to be honest with myself. I've got to be honest about my heart. Do I have sin in my life? And so many times maybe we, we want to admit the sin. I'm willing to confess the sin. I've got this going on and I'm really not good at this. Huh? I'm like the captain of saying I'm not good at such and such and doing nothing about that. That's not what Jesus wants. He doesn't want us to walk in the darkness anymore. He wants us to walk in the light as He is in the light, saying, you know, I've got this dark part of my body that I am ready to have light shown on. And He knows the difference if we are saying that I've got nothing to work on, and I'm not working on anything, saying, no, you're a liar. You have sinned. That's the truth. We, We all have sinned. We have sinned, and we have to be honest about that because verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the truth is not in us. And we know Jesus is not a liar. We know Jesus is truthful. Jesus is honest. He's not the liar. I'm the liar when I'm saying I don't have any sin, and he flat out knows that. But the beautiful thing is he writes these things in chapter 2 so that we don't sin. John says, I'm telling you this stuff ahead of time so that you don't sin. But, if anyone does sin, and maybe we should add, if and when anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's the benefit. Is that you and I aren't going to go through life without sin. But thankfully, we know how Jesus is going to go to God on our behalf. We know that He is going to be there to stand up for us. If we are honest. If we are truthful. If we try to walk in the light as He's in the light. And that's a comfort. To know, you know, today I'm just not feeling it. You know, I'm really tired of having to tell God that everything's okay with you. Instead, He says, this is all right. He's trying. He's walking the light. He's going to do better. And he goes to God on our behalf. And he is faithful. And he is just to forgive us of our sin. I think about one more thing when it comes to I know how he's going to react. I know, I know how he's going to react when I need him. You know, there are times in life and there are many difficulties in life that come up. As many of us have experienced last year. And now into this year. And I think about a lot of different things about when we need Jesus the most. And I think about, well, what is it that, how is he going to react when I need him? And I think about statements like Romans the 8th chapter. In Romans the 8th chapter, a verse that is quoted so very often in the world. But you think about these things where it says in verse 27, again, I'll just go ahead and point out, he, searches, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now here's verse 28. And we know that for those that love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. You say, what does it have to do with need? Well, I'll what has got to do with need. Those who love God. They need God. They want God. What does it say? All things work together for good for those who love God. You know, then I say, well, that's, that can't be the truth. That can't be the case, right? Because all this bad stuff... Happens to good people. And these people really love God. And then so I thought about Jesus' dear friend, Lazarus. Remember in John chapter 11, when Jesus and His disciples are away, and Lazarus is sick, and His sisters send messengers to Jesus and say, Come. Your friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus doesn't go. In fact, Jesus tarries around where he's at, I believe, two more days. And he then tells his disciples two days later, Let's go, it's time to wake Lazarus up. And so if he's asleep, he'll wake up on his own. And then he said plainly, Lazarus is dead. And what was that all about? Why did he wait? Because when he got there, you remember, Martha met him from a distance and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I needed you two days ago. You're a little too late to the party. But do you remember what Jesus says in verse 4? This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The one thing that you and I can bank on and we can know is that what we need is to bring glory to God. And that may not be what we necessarily want in that situation. But that's what it's going to be. That's the good that it's talking about. It doesn't mean that, hey, your bank account is going to be filled. Or, hey, your loved one is going to be made better. Or, in this case, it doesn't mean that your loved one is going to be raised from the dead. What it means is, God is glorified through that circumstance. And I'm okay with that. Because I love Him. And I need Him. And without Him, I am nothing. And so I will put up and I will take whatever He deems fit to give me. And I know that's all that I need that is good enough for me. Or as he told Paul when Paul Boy prayed those three times to remove the thorn in the flesh, my grace, my favor is sufficient for you. And you know, that's a hard pill to swallow. But I know that's how he's going to react. It may mean you're led as sheep to the slaughter. It may mean that. But it's for the good. And I'm okay with that. That's the way Jesus is always going to be. And then the last pro I want to point out is I know what to do. With Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever... I know what I'm supposed to do, just like Michael was talking about this morning, because he has delivered the truth. He has delivered it once for all. Jude 3, contend for the faith that was delivered once for all. I want you to think about what is said of Paul in Galatians chapter 1, where people were always trying to say Paul wasn't really even an apostle. And Paul didn't really even know what he was talking about. He was coming up with all his own stuff. Paul says in verse 11 of Galatians 1, I want have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is no man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, as Michael pointed out this morning, Jesus constructed the message. And He gave it to those few people To give to everyone else who is then to give it to everyone else. And so, what that means is there is nothing new. There is no new command that you and I don't know about or has not been revealed yet. There may be laws of God and there may be things that God would want us to do that maybe I'm not aware of yet. They're in Scripture, they have been delivered. I just haven't come to the realization of them yet. But guess what? There is no new commandment that is coming. There is not that. You consider from 1 John chapter 2, I, I don't know why this struck me the way it did, but, but it struck me in a way that... I'm not telling you any new commandment, but I'm telling you an old commandment. So look at verse 7 here. John says, Behold, beloved. I'm writing you no new commandment but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. You say, oh, I wonder what that one is. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you. Which is true in him and in you. And you say, well, hold on. How can something be old but yet be new? Well, because He says, writing to you which, in, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. Now, what is he saying? Nine. Whoever says he's in the light and he hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling or offense. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. And does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What's the new commandment that's not a new commandment of the soul? You've got to love one another. He's going to spend chapter 3 talking about that. He's going to spend chapter 4 talking about that. I'm not telling you anything new. Because there isn't anything new to learn about that. Or there in Galatians 1, Paul says, If any man or any angel preaches to you anything different than what you have heard from us, let Him be accursed. Like there's nothing new. And we know that. There's nothing new under the sun. There are no new commands. There are no new revelations on tablets. And they aren't hidden. They've been revealed already once and for all. And so as Michael pointed out this morning, the warning is that there would be people who come in Second Peter 3 who would scoff, who would mock. And so the Lord gave that command and that warning through his apostles and through his prophets. And by his own mouth, beware, many false Christs will arise. It's just all there is to it. So when you think about that, I think about the cons. It's a good thing that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know how He's going to react. And I know what I'm supposed to do, which makes me feel a little more comfortable when I go to Him. Now here's the downside and here's the cons. I know how He's going to react. I know exactly how He's going to react to my faith. If I'm like His disciples who have seen it over and over and over again, but yet they just don't get it and He's got to say to me, Oh, you a little faith. Even when we're Peter and we're taking this great step of faith. If you are Jesus, command me to walk out on this water too. And Jesus, by the way, in that one, he gave gave one word. Come as well. That was his one word command for Peter to be able to walk on the water. Was come. And so he walked on the water. And Peter, when we're saying, man, this guy, man, what great faith. He's walking on water. But in a split second. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He looks around and he begins to sink. And Jesus, he says, Lord, save me. And again, we know how Jesus responds to that honest heart, don't we? He reached out, he saved him. He said, Oh, you have little faith. Like, do you want Jesus to rebuke you for your little faith? How long have I been with you? He would say. And yet you say you don't know me, you don't know the Father? Like, over and over, we just don't take it as seriously as Jesus expects us to take it. And we're talking about those that were the closest to Him. Those that should have known better. And so we might make that application to you and me. Those of us that are here on Sunday night. Those of us that are here on Wednesday night. And we're reading and we're praying and we're doing all these things. But yet, my life isn't a life of faith. And I know that. Because... Again, I know how he's going to react to my heart. Am I deceiving myself by hating my brother? Am I deceiving myself by feeling comfortable in what I'm doing with this little pocket of darkness in my life? But yet I know that God is light and in Him is no darkness. But I'm okay with a little darkness. I know how he's going to respond to that. He's going to say to me, like He does there in Matthew 21, 22, when all these people come to question Him, don't worry about it, you'll be cast out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. Don't you worry about that. Or, the vineyard that was yours will be taken from you and it will be given to another. Or, here's your talent. Oh, you went and buried it in the... And the ground, oh, congratulations, I'm going to take that away from you and I'm going to give it to another. That's what we can expect. That's how we know he'll react. You knew I was a man who reaped where I did not sow. But yet you still did it anyway. And man, that's a scary son. That's a con of that. And I know how he's going to react when I don't need him. When I'm like the church there of Laodicea Laodicea, in Revelation, the third chapter. And we always talk about that church being the lukewarm church, and that it is. But verse 17 tells us a little more about them. Not only were they lukewarm, whatever that exactly means, but notice 17. You say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Man, that's people that are very satisfied. I don't need anything. For yet yeah, Jesus says to them, yet yeah, you don't realize that you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. I, I see you for who you really are. You're the opposite of what you think you are. You are really one who needs me but yet you don't want me. So here's what I'm going to tell you to do, verse 18. I counsel you. And I find that interesting. I didn't look at the exact word, but my translation says I counsel you. Here's my advice. <laughs> All right? Here is my advice to you. Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. What you need is to come to me and give me everything you got, and I'll give you something great in return. But if I don't need Him, guess what? He doesn't need me either. And that's a scary thought, to know that Jesus doesn't need me. And maybe that's a way of saying it, because maybe He does need me. But I refuse to be used. Consider what He would say to some of the disciples. He would say, Follow me. And one said, hold on, I just got married. Let me go. Or hold on, I just bought a piece of land. I need to go and I need to take a look at my land. Or hold on, my father is about to die. Or let me first go bury my father. And I think man, that was a special thing Jesus was offering those people was to follow him. And I think it was in a more specialized role. And they all came up with excuses not to go. It as trivial as I just got married. I got land. And I'd really like to bury my dad because my family is the most important, whatever the case may be. Jesus knows if we want him, if we need him more, if others are more. And again, he knows what I know what to do. Just like Michael was saying this morning, he's delivered it. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he said, I delivered to you what I got from the Lord. And what you're doing is not for the better, but it's for the worse. You haven't made your worship any better. In fact, you've actually made it worse. Because you're no longer doing what was commanded, what was delivered by the Lord. And so I know what to do. And then the downside, again, is there's going to be nothing new. There's not going to be any way to spice it up. There's not going to be a new commandment that comes along that I like better that says, and I'll use Michael's illustration, the Kentucky Fried Chicken and Pepsi Cola for the Lord's Supper. That's not coming around. Or the basketball to get the people into the church. That's not coming around. That's not going to get any better. And so if I'm a person that is unsatisfied with the command of God, guess what? I'm stuck with that. Because there's nothing new to be revealed. This is what the truth is.
1: Yesterday,
0: today, and forever. It doesn't matter that it is 2017. It doesn't matter how much society has progressed. It's still the same yesterday, today, forever. And that can be comforting. And that can be discouraging or terrifying or difficult. But the truth is, we've got to deal with the Jesus we've been dealt. And thankfully, he is not a hard master. Thankfully, his burden is easy. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Thankfully, that is the case. We haven't been asked to do anything that he himself was not willing to do. And thankfully, he did it consistently, day in, day out. Did anybody have a comment uh, on their little cards or anything of a pro or a con that they wanted to throw? Oh, got one. A couple. All right, good. Throw it down here. I like I like it. I, like I want Pro. We can trust him. Absolutely. Oh, I got you. Con. He may not seem relevant for today or the current time. There you go. Yeah, he, he, he's a little outdated there. Pros, when times are tough, I can come back to know what is known and comfortable. There we go. And from the sinner's perspective, the con, what is socially acceptable today is still not allowed. Or I should say is still not allowed. You understand what he's saying there? What is socially acceptable today doesn't change because of the time. Very good. And I can only and I can't make technical justification of behavior since he is unchanged. You understand why that's being said? I can't come up with some new rationale that would justify me. Because he's not changing his laws. Very good. Let's see here. Pro. He's adaptable. He is transcendent. Yeah, he goes beyond time and he has made the Word of God living to the point where it's not outdated. But a con, he's unbending. When he said it, he's not changing from that. Very good. Let's see another one. Pro, our hope of salvation is real. Yeah. You think about that. It's absolutely real. And two, Jesus is in our corner. He wants us to succeed. Every day. Each and every day, Jesus does. Very good. And so cons, we can. Like I don't have to succeed. He wants me to succeed, but I can fail. And secondly, His standard is not our standard of righteousness. That's a difficult thing to follow. Is that man? Too often times, what we think is righteous is not the same as His. Uh, here we go. I got one more here. Oh, I got two more. Pro. Jesus is patient with us. As we procrastinate and delay in doing what we know to be right. How true is that? So that's what Paul said in First Timothy one. The Lord was merciful to me and he counted me worthy to serve in his. Yeah, how how true is that? A con, eventually the patience will expire and our chance will be gone. Absolutely. It's like you know, I was thinking earlier, you know, we talk about being a double edged sword. I thought about that. There's maybe a lot of pictures for that, but it doesn't matter which side you go on, you're going to get cut. There's not a dull side to the knife. You're going to be cut in these. Pros. I know what to expect on Judgment Day. I know where I'm going, and I know how to get there. Do you have one on yep. I know where I'm going, and I know how to get there. Very good. Cons. Jesus doesn't change to accommodate my wants, desires, or wishes. Jesus' character won't allow him to forgive my loved ones who don't obey his commands. Whew. Yeah. Hitting that one's up. I really want it. But they won't do what he says to do. And I know that he can't forgive them. That is a really tough one. And finally, prose. He's long-suffering. I know he will always be there for me. Absolutely. And two, I always have hope, even when it seems like all hope is lost. Oh, no, absolutely true. Cons, one, what will people think of me for doing right? right? If, I, if I do that thing that's not socially acceptable, and I say it's not acceptable, what will they think of me for doing right? And two, does this give me the right to sin willfully? You know, that is a tough, tough thing deal with. The point is, I just hope it got you thinking. I know it got you thinking. I I like these comments, all these pros and these cons, because we all look at it somewhat differently. But yeah, when we sit down and think about it, man, Jesus is all we got. And man, it sure is good that we got Him. Because without Him, we don't stand a chance. And if we don't do what He says, we don't stand a chance. And as one said, our loved ones don't stand a chance. And that makes us a little uncomfortable, but yet at ease because we know whom we have believed and we are convinced that he is able to keep until the day that he is reserved. I hope that got you thinking for the year about how constant and how great Jesus is. If you need the prayers of the congregation this evening or you're ready, to commit your life to Christ and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Won't you come now as we stand and as we sing?